Hi, I'm Tefra Jemian. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! So this week we're talking about The Order of the Phoenix, which is one of my favorites in the series, although I have heard that that's an unpopular opinion. Here to talk with me today is Matt Dever. Uh, Matt has known me literally my whole life and was also one of our early patron supporters and also has been a huge support just like to the network in general. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I guess I'll just say a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm Matt Dever. I'm a father of five kids, and uh, we lived in uh, a rural area, uh, not far from where, where Teffer grew up. And uh, I, I'm a education advocate, uh, autism advocate, and currently doing a lot of work to support uh, parents and professionals during, during the, the, the COVID time through my website. So Matt's website is in the show notes uh, if you want to check that out. Um, It's really, really good stuff, really good work. Now, Matt, you asked specifically to talk about Order of the Phoenix, or I think you said Deathly Hallows because you wanted to talk about Ginny. I guess Half-Blood Prince because you wanted to talk about Ginny. Yeah, it's um, the Order of the Phoenix to me is the the book that really changed the direction of of the characters it, it moved them forward it's it moved them from being kids to being you know young adults like they're it's it's, it's moving them they have to make decisions they, they have to t- take examinations that are going to de- define what path they can go on it's a lot it's it's really coming of age and you know it does that with the main characters but it does it i feel more so with the secondary characters uh, Ginny and Neville are, are two of the ones that I think really changed the most and we're really starting to see them shine and become really part of the main characters in the next few books. Yeah, the cast, I was noticing that on this re-round, uh, reread, how much the cast expands in Order of mm-hmm. the Phoenix, um, which really is pivotal to the plot of people finally <laughs> like starting a rebellion. Yeah, so what is it? I mean, could you just talk a little bit like further about that? What is it that made you say, like, I want to talk about Ginny? Okay, so in the first few books, we see Ginny as this um, doe-eyed younger sister of all the brothers, sort of trailing around, uh, wanting to be part of things, but she's really, you know, uh, shy and not really... She's there, but she's present, but she's not really part of 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 uh the the main group she's not really you know she's she's really in the shadow of her brothers she's in the shadow of of harry and and hermione and this book changes that where she becomes you know she becomes a person and a character in her own right she's she's uh through the 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 dumbledore's army she's showing that she can do things at the same level as her brothers she's showing that she's got ingenuity and uh, shrewdness of 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 Fred and George without the um, need to you know to set everything on fire to do so you know there's just so many things that that this book changes that and and we see her far more involved in book six and seven 
and you know you, you trace it down it's it's really it's a coming of age for all of the characters but she and neville come out of their shell come out of their shyness and can do things they learn to do things they put their mind into it and they just um they they don't want to be uh, cast aside because they, they want to be there to support harry because harry has supported them and they feel that they're able to do so now because they have to they, they see their they see the um the oncoming um uh, the war they see they see the the evil that's out there and they see uh all of the efforts that uh umbridge uh, uh professor umbridge has to try to stifle this and they don't want they don't want to be silent while evil triumphs yeah i noticed i think because i was reading for Ginny kind of specifically because you'd put that in my head <laughs> i noticed that that starts getting established very early in the book and um one of the parts that really jumped out at me is when they're talking about what kind of weapon could Voldemort be, you know, using this time. Uh, and one of the twins says, like, size is no indication of power. Look at Ginny. Um, <laughs> and she starts to be really established as a very clever and talented witch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, what I, I love that in the next book, which I don't know, spoilers, but I love that then she gets established as a really... Uh, capable athlete and mm-hmm. kind of she starts it starts to be established that anything Harry can do Ginny can do mm-hmm. um, which I think is so important especially looking at them develop a, a relationship later that she's yeah. no longer just a little kid with a crush she's not kind of a like simpering foil she is a, a witch in her own right who has mm-hmm. her own life going and her own stuff going and is uh, extremely capable yeah I, what I see is there, there are seeds planted here for um, Ginny acting as the acting wise beyond her age, or, or seeming she, she's, she's been a, an observer for the first five books, well, the first four books. She's been observing everything, and this now she's, 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 um, she's learned. She has the wisdom, <clears throat> even though she doesn't have some of the practical experience of other people uh because she's she's been such an observer she's um i think probably because she got taken over by uh by voldemort that she i think she's become hyper uh observant of everything around her and yeah that that's it's it sort of establishes in this book like some really wise nuggets that she throws out there um and you know to the end you know really not giving Harry a choice to take her with uh, to take her and Neville with them as as they try to save uh, Sirius mm-hmm. I think the the observance comes in part from you know being possessed by Voldemort at 12 has to or 11 has to do something to you um, mm. but also being the youngest child and as you know Matt I am the youngest <laughs> of six children and uh, <laughs> yeah, feel just such a um, kinship with Ginny and with Ron sometimes but uh, <laughs> to be the youngest of a passel of children and you know when you're the youngest because every person is unique and uniquely talented it can be really hard and it can be really daunting to kind of find your feet find what you're good at instead of just trying to be your older siblings uh, which is what we see Ron falling into but Ginny really seems to sidestep that 
Ginny, Ginny really, maybe, you know, for being the younger sister or whatever gets treated differently, but Ginny really finds her own way of doing things and has a real balanced sense of self, really sticks up for herself well. And that's really fun. I love her relationship with Fred and George in this book. Like we see Ginny hanging out with Fred and George and just having a good time and goofing around so often. And we get that Ginny is is goofy like Fred and George and also, Mm -hmm. you know, innovative and innovative and talented like Fred and George. She 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 thinks outside the box, but she's but she's um, smart enough to know where the box is. Yeah, like there, there's a real difference between um, like we we have we have three female characters uh, as students that are um, you know, dealt with in this book. We have we have Hermione, the the bookish like she she is you know follow the rules. We're going to get this done. We, you know study study study. You know you know write your own notes, uh, Ron. And <laughs> although that starts changing at, towards the end of the book as she starts becoming a little bit rebellious um, in her own way. And then we have uh, Ginny, who has been a secondary character, not really, you know, she doesn't really talk to her. She hasn't really had her own voice. And now she's, she's there. She's, um, she's, she's a bit carefree, but she's also not, uh, she's not going to cross lines, but she's, uh, unless they need to be crossed. And if, the, if, if she needs to cross those lines, she's going to, you know, she's going to do that with 100, 100 to 20%. She's just going to go at it because she knows it's right. Um, and then uh, there's uh, Olivia, uh, who is. I really wish they could have written her a bit better because she it, it, she's she's not as she's she's courageous and she's. I mean she's 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 mourning through this book, right? She's she's mourning through this book and trying to figure herself out and seeing all the evil around and everything. Um, but I don't. I, I I think she's as a character is stronger than she's written. There's, I, I feel that there's more to it than than that. But um, when you when you when you look at Hermione, when you look at Ginny, and then you look at uh, you look at G- Ginny's mom, <laughs> and it, it, honest, honestly, um, Ginny's mom Ginny's mom is fiery and uh, you know willing to go like the, the extra mile to get things done and very protective of her kids, and I. Th- and I feel that Ginny's like that too, but Ginny will take risks. Ginny will take risks because um, they're measured, and she knows that she needs she knows she needs to take them in order to make things better. Mm-hmm. Whereas her mom would take risks to protect her kids, but not necessarily to put to do allow the kids to take risks. And Ginny's Ginny's sort of has. I think her mom has had her eyes on all of the boys because they've given her so much grief that Ginny's just been allowed to um, grow herself without those restrictions. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought up Molly, actually, because I was also thinking about Molly so much reading this book. I was thinking about, you know, in this we find out that Molly and Arthur were part of the original Order of the Phoenix. So... I think about Molly and I think about Molly fighting Voldemort the first time and you know apparently he got beat and he disappeared and she and Arthur retire to the country and raise a bunch of children and chickens and Arthur has a job that he just enjoys that you know isn't necessarily ambitious but is also somewhere where he can kind of keep an eye on how muggles are being treated and Mm -hmm. kind of like I I do think that's a deliberate choice to make sure that if that that nonsense starts again he'll 
know that it's happening. Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere, you know, their kids are almost grown. They've been they've made this beautiful life for themselves. And then Voldemort's back. Mm-hmm. And Molly, who felt safe enough to have six children, suddenly has this brood that she needs to protect, plus Harry, because she's been just taking care of all of the children who come her way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, we see Molly get her own. <laughs> um, yeah. But just really, really thinking about what what that means for Molly and Arthur to have really built their life in a security and then see that suddenly threatened in a really, really big way. Um, and to see that what they do, you know, they are pure blood wizards. And mm-hmm. both times they could have just sat back and said, you know what, this doesn't concern me. And both times they say, absolutely not. This does yeah. concern me. This is important. Yeah. They, they, they are... Um the epitome of the, the the brave Gryffindor. Yeah. You know, they, they really are. And I, I, when I think of Gryffindors, I mean, I, I think of the, 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 the lions and the orange and the, 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 the fiery uh, tempers, but, but really strong heart. And like to a T, they're all like that. But um, there, there is a lot of stress that's on the family right now um, because Percy going to uh you know work for the ministry of magic and really cutting them off and you know it, almost like disavowing being a weasley yeah. and that's y- you can see how that has put a lot of pressure on molly to try to protect the other kids because he doesn't want to see that happen again which of course as parents tend to do that's <laughs> that, is, that has the, the the tendency to push the kids a little bit further away and not respect that because you know you, you so want to not have your other kids um go the same path that that one other uh, a wayward child is doing so you just double down and yeah. it's uh i wonder if you have any experience with that my kids are still a little bit little but uh, oh do you mean uh, as a child <laughs> but yes absolutely and i think especially when molly has been holding percy up as an example to her younger mm-hmm. children for yeah. a really long time um, yeah. We've seen her holding Percy up as an example to the twins and to Ron and Ginny. And Ginny also, we've seen her kind of idolizing Percy. And I do think that's part of her character development in yeah. this book is realizing that, um, you know, your your big brother can fall. <laughs> um, and that, I think, yeah. is really significant. I, rem- I feel like now I don't remember too well, but I feel like like Percy and Ginny's relationship is really explored in Chamber of Secrets. Um and then and then suddenly yeah. he's turned his back on the family. Yeah, and and that just just kind of turns a lot of the family structure on its head. Yeah, it's um I, I think that Ron has had uh this image of of, you know, uh uh Percy being the ultimate model for all Weasleys and, you know, uh, obviously, the twins aren't really the greatest examples for how to turn out, uh, but he's he's he feels um, the pressure to be like Percy, and then when uh, everything happens and Percy you know disavows the family, but he but you know he, the the letter that that uh, Ron gets from Percy basically to tell him to you know stay away from Harry and and uh, you know he was really proud that he was prefected and so you know. Turn out like me, Percy says. You know, 
I want you to, you know, take go the path that I am. I'm really proud of you. And, you know, Ron doesn't follow that, but it's it's got to be a shaking because all this time he's been told like to, to, to go the path that that Percy's on and it's not let him be him. And I think this book also Ron changes a lot in this book because he's he's gone from this sort of psychic to, you know, he's a prefect. He's on the 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 Kittich team. He's, you know, <laughs> say, um, goes from like really really uh, struggling about himself and his own self worth to being significantly more confident towards the end of the book, right? And that's that's great. I mean, Harry's the one that's been um, really he's very whiny in this book. He's very 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 whiny. He's very, very sullen. He's very, very angry. I mean, there's all he's going through PTSD with seeing Voldemort come back and seeing Cedric die, and all these things, and no one really to talk to to express things. He's cut off from Sirius for most of the year, who is really trying to you know reestablish, you know, establish you know, and, and keep going a, 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 a familiar relationship. But he's so whiny, and it just drives me crazy. And it's all of the other people. I mean, Ron's a bit whiny too, but like that's always been Ron. That's always been Ron. Whereas this, like uh, Harry, takes out his anger and his frustration a lot on his on his friends. And I mean, I I think it was at the point where he uh, he he sees Snape's memory and sees how his father, at the same age he was, was a bully and not the image, the whole image that he had of his father and of Sirius and all on all of the Order of Phoenix is sort of really strained and I feel after that point his whininess got tamped down and he became the, the growth that he was going on the first four books comes back to that you know even though he still doesn't want to get other people involved to, to fight with him like he's still moving forward and he's listening to people and he's not so angry he's actually trying to uh, tamper Hermione down when she goes into the forest it's like are you sure this is a good idea like it's almost like the roles flipped I actually know a number of people, including Tom, who um, edits our show and, you know, is also my partner, uh, who gave up on Harry Potter in the fifth book because of Harry's complainingness. And actually, I got into a discussion with someone on Twitter about it recently of people <laughs> who just can't can't stand it. They just can't stand Harry yelling at everybody all of the time. Mm. I'm I'm kind of like torn on it because... I do think it's realistic. I think it's a realistic depiction of a 15-year-old. I think it's a realistic depiction of a 15-year-old who's been deeply traumatized in a world where nobody seems to care about treating PTSD. And, you know, we have Sirius, who is also deeply traumatized, who is somebody uh, Harry looks to as a role model. Um, and and he's a 15-year-old, and, like, that yeah. happens. That's real. Um, Confusing hormones. Oh, my God. And like you know, you like this girl whose boyfriend you just saw murdered, <laughs> whose boyfriend you probably also had a crush on, and that's got to yeah. bring up some complicated feelings. Yep. Um, but talking about Hermione, because I just I made this connection earlier, and I want to bring it up before we kind of lose this thread. Uh, Hermione also really idolized Percy. Hermione has always defended Percy when, mm. like, Ron or the twins have made fun of him because Hermione does want, has wanted to be like Percy. And I do wonder if some of Hermione's... Hermione now sees the flaws in her idol. Like, in a lot of ways, this book is about people seeing mm -hmm. the 
the flaws in the organizations and the people that they idolize. And she is seeing the problems with the Ministry of Magic. You know, that started with her work with House Elves in the last book. She's starting to see that the system doesn't work and she's starting to really want to do something about it, which I think is, you know, what marks Hermione as a Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Um, that she sees injustice and she's able to see past the rules that she loves and say, no, this is not okay. Yeah, I mean, she's her her social justice uh, core is very, very strong in this book, how she just continues to, um, you know, advocate day by day for, you know, freeing uh, the, all the house elves you know, and just, you know, uh, calling out people for calling um, you know, centaurs, half breeds, and things like that. Like, there's, it's just at a core of her. There's this justice that needs to be done for the world around her, and that it also means like sticking up for people that 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 stand out. However, I don't feel that she was very good towards Luna in this book. Mm-hmm. She was very dismissive of Luna, and I mean, I know it changes later on, but this, she has a, she has prejudices, and they do come out, you know, and. I think this, th- yeah, this this book. She's she is seeing her heroes uh, really uh, questioned, and she's seeing her own self and her own ways of doing things questioned. And so we ended up with a little bit of rebel rebel Hermione uh, <laughs> bursting into the forest, and uh, which is I think a, a really good thing for her. But yeah, it's it's like e- everything in this book sort of gets uh thrown open i mean we've always been a little bit you know wondering about the ministry of magic and this book just totally exposes the hypocrisy and the 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 vile um uh, prejudices that they have it, it 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 exposes the order of phoenix for not being as you know they, they they've come a long way from from their from their childhood from their teen years but they have they still have a lot of prejudices like um Sirius and Snape like they're you know it's it's still there right you know you know 30 years later it's it's the that that the hostility between them is still there based on the things that that was that was done in the childhood you you see the Dumbledore Dumbledore it, it, Harry really needed Dumbledore this year and Dumbledore was distant Dumbledore did not uh, spend the time that he did in previous years and really Harry had to learn all of these lessons without him without and 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 things were being done without any kind of they the adults treated the 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 older teens as younger kids and you know this I think everything that happened this book changes that going onwards but this you know, in this book, they, the, the 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 parents and the adults, the Order of Phoenix, did not want to let the kids know pretty well anything. It's all hush hush. Even Hagrid really didn't want to talk about what was going on, you know. And it's it's uh, it's been a struggle because Harry idolized Dumbledore, but felt really let down by Dumbledore this year when he really needed some support. And you know it's it's understandable with everything going on. We as the reader can understand what's going on and maybe why uh, Dumbledore pulled back this year because of you know how much the Ministry of Magic was and you know Umbridge was really putting all their eyes on it. But 
I, I feel that that really affected Harry, and it was part of his angst and part of his struggle and part of the things that he had to go through. In the end, did he get through it? Yes. In the end, did he mature? Yes. But it was, it was made a lot harder. I think that sometimes adults, especially parents or, you know, educators, people who are responsible for children, can have a tendency when things are going bad in the world to think, us adults can sort this out before we have to tell the kids about it. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why we have, you know, a generation of kids who grew up without their parents ever talking to them about homophobia existing or racism existing exactly. and, you yeah. know, what your role can be and just kind of thinks, well, that's not going to be a problem for them. Um, and I think we do see that in this book. We see the teachers kind of going, well, if we just don't talk to the students about this, we'll be able to sort it out. Or like yeah. Dumbledore will be able to sort it out. And Molly saying, well, the Order of Phoenix will sort this out before it affects the school children and of course it affects the school children because i don't know universities don't exist in this world and and hogwarts is the only opportunity the ministry has to influence um the youth or or the only opportunity dumbledore has to radicalize them but it really is interesting to look at how the adults in their urge to protect the children although dumbledore Dumbledore always has his larger plan that that you know gets unveiled and you know we can talk yeah. about I think there's there's a lot to talk about in how Dumbledore treats Harry and whether or not he treats him like a person. The word used came to my mind a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean again like this is something we'll get to more in in the 7th book but like yeah, Dumbledore avoids Harry because he's afraid that Voldemort will use Harry to see Dumbledore's plans. And yeah. it's just, uh, there are ways to ex- to explain this. Like, mm-hmm. this is something that Harry Harry is terrified that Voldemort is possessing him. This yeah. is something that, that Dumbledore could explain to Harry. You know, I will still see you, but I have to limit what I tell you because we don't know what this link is. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, this is the problem that, that adults have with, 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 with teens is knowing how to communicate. You know how to communicate. If you're you're so used to uh, communicating with communicating with kids at a um, lower bandwidth, right? Mm. You know, easier things and whatnot. And you're and you're trying to shield them from the adult world, which they you don't feel they're ready for. But that this these these teen years, you know, you're, you're moving from the childhood ideation to much more um, stronger. Uh, ways of, of 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 looking at how the world is and 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 and, and seeing things in, in many different levels and it's and it's growing so fast and um it, it's it's always adults that aren't ready for that they don't know how to transition they don't know how to grow to that you know it's like all of a sudden they'll let's say, they'll realize that their that their kid that their that their their child is no longer a, a, a little kid anymore and they don't know what to do. It's it's just like this strange realization that hits that their their kids are growing up and you still want to protect them but they're they're sometimes they're smarter than you yeah <laughs> and you don't know how to deal with that I mean I don't have teenagers yet but I I feel like that's like already becoming clear with a kindergarten age child <laughs> um, that like we're heading there <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, kids that are four going on uh, four going on fourteen all of a sudden become fourteen going on twenty all of a sudden become twenty going on. Well, they're already an adult. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It. it <laughs> and and, and you and you look back and you look at old pictures of, of of your kids and you see them when they were two or three years old and you're like, it's the same kid, but it's not. <laughs> but but you know, it's like some of the things that you, that you that you knew about them when they're two or three are still there. But you just have to know how to you know, learn new ways of communicating with them. Yeah. Kids rebel when they don't have, when they don't feel they have any control, right, yeah. of, of things. And this is, it, the scary thing is that Harry could have gone the way of, of, of Draco. Yeah. You know, he could have been, the, he could have been gone the way of his father actually at his age. He, he could have been a bully. He could have been smug and full of himself. He's the chosen one, you know, he's the one with the scar. He's the boy who lived all these things. He could have taken that. And every once in a while through the books, he, you sort of see him, him resting on those lowers, but then he moves beyond that. He could have been like that. And this book, I think really made him see he doesn't want to be like his dad. He, I think he wants to be like his mom, but he doesn't want to be like his dad you know, at this age, he doesn't want to grow the same way. He doesn't want to do the same things his dad did because his dad was a hothead. Yeah. And, and as, as as much as Harry will jump into things, you know, he doesn't do that with a sense of smugness or arrogance about himself. He does this because it needs to get done, and he has the heart for it. He does. He wants to see things. That he doesn't want Voldemort to win. Yeah. You know. And. Uh, yeah, that's spot on. Talking about like how Harry Potter could have turned out, in. This book, we get the first inclination that it was almost Neville. And I, yeah, let's talk about Neville. Because Neville also is a really strong secondary character in Order of the Phoenix. Yes. Neville yes. has just a fascinating, fascinating storyline throughout the series. Yeah, he, he's almost, like, in the, in the first couple books, he's, he's this really hapless sidekick, which basically everything he does blows up in his face sometimes quite literally yeah. and um he's but he's he's got this loyalty uh and persistence and perseverance even if he's not confident of themselves he's confident that he should still keep going and i mean yeah he 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 carries the weight of what was done to his parents who you know weren't taken away from him but were also taken away from him and uh, and this fear of you know with, with I think it's one of the reasons why he's so easy to believe that Voldemort's back because you know I, I think it, he wants he wants Voldemort back because he wants a second chance he wants to be able to um, avenge his parents in a way but not in a not in a not out of out of out of a rage of 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 wanting revenge, but more of you know the word avenge to set things right, to fix what was broken, yeah. as, as opposed to revenge was to was to taking something uh, purposely because something was done, and I, I think that his desire, especially you know once you know Dumbledore's army was uh, was made was created. He threw himself at, at learning things. He threw himself at his studies. He threw himself, even though he'll never be as good as uh, in some of these subjects as as, as the other wizards, uh, other students. He still he's going to pass. He's going to get through them. He's going to, he's going to make something of himself. He's going to be there so that when you know 
inevitably they have to face Dumbledore. It's not Dumbledore. Inevitably, when they have to face <laughs> Voldemort and his minions, <laughs> he wants to be there because he wants to make a difference. And it's yeah. and he wants it for his parents and for himself and for his friends and for he doesn't want to see what's happened to his parents and what's happened you know to Harry's parents to ever happen again. I think it's really clear that Neville more than just about anything understands the significance of Voldemort coming back because for Neville it's not just that he lost his parents as a baby he has a constant reminder and you know we've known from the first book that Neville lives with his grandmother and Neville's family Mm -hmm. is frankly abusive to him for not being so good at magic so in that level he Mm -hmm. gets a taste of what it is like to be a less magical person in a magical world Um, you know we have his his uncle who hung him outside and dropped him out a window um, (laughs) to try to make him be magical right I mean that that well that to me that to me is so uh, it brings up conversion therapy it brings up families trying to make gay kids straight and neville you know we never knew why neville lived with his grandmother we just knew neville did Mm -hmm. live with his grandmother um and i think the scene where we meet neville's parents is one of the scenes that never ceases to give me goose bumps and bring tears to my eyes Not just because we see the way his parents were affected and the way he was affected, but in the difference between how his mother, his grandmother approaches his parents and how he approaches his parents. His grandmother is very forced. She's very, she's really trying to hurry through the encounter. She clearly doesn't want to be there. Um, Yeah. and, And Neville is just connecting with his mom in the only mm-hmm. way he can. And he's very gentle and he's very patient. Oh my God, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm choking up because it is <laughs> wonderful to and, see. And the, in, the interesting thing is in that, in that time where we meet uh, his parents in the ward there, um, his grandmother uh, was, was wondering, you, you have, why, why did you not tell them? You know about your parents. You have nothing. You have. Yeah. No, uh, are you not proud of them? You know, it's he. He struggled with it, and I don't think it was because he wasn't proud of his parents, but he just the whole situation was very personal and 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 probably something that he lives with all the time and wants some space from that. But his grandmother really wanted to, him to, to to like. There's nothing to be like. Your parents. You should be proud of your parents, and so as much as she was sort of just present there you know and distant from she was distant from neville but not distant from the from from his parents Mm. i think that's the way i got out of that okay i get it i get like when neville's mother gives him her little gift and his grandmother says like yes yes very nice alice dear and neville just says very quietly thanks mom it's like i guess there is some ambiguity in how you can read that scene actually but the way i've always read it is the grandmother saying like yes yes okay thank you and neville very quietly saying like thank you this is meaningful uh but now that i'm saying it out loud i do see how there's a a second reading of that um (laughs) where neville is being quiet because he is embarrassed (laughs) it's just not how it how it ever struck me (laughs) But I mean, I can also see Neville just not Neville feeling like he's enough of a spectacle at school and he doesn't need another thing for people to be talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's it. He, he's he's bullied a lot at the school, and if it wasn't for Harry, Ron, and Hermione, he he would have been the brunt of the Slytherin uh, crew. Uh, I mean, it's. <laughs> I'm glad this book. Ron really takes on all of the crap that uh, the Slytherin uh, has to throw at, at the group. You know, the yeah. whole um, you know King Weasley song and all that yeah. stuff that was really difficult. And we don't see a lot of Neville being uh, bullied. And I think that's pro- probably because he is becoming confident in himself. He is being com- he is seeing that he's able to do things. He's got a mission. He's got a purpose. And when people are like that, it's really hard to to bully people that, that have confidence. You know, it's people that have a little bit of self-doubt are the ones that are easiest. And that's why Harry gets Harry gets bullied a lot because mm-hmm. he he goes through these waves of of confident uh, uh, lots of confidence loss of confidence and so every time you know he is weak he, he is not feeling strong about his own self that's when you know Draco dies right in that's when Snape dies right in that's when you know the, the vault his his dreams that are really the the, the you know being part of you know being part of Voldemort that that his defenses are down because he doesn't have the confidence and Neville has confidence Ron gets confidence Ginny has confidence Hermione pretty well always has confidence except when the few times she doesn't but she blusters through it anyways mm-hmm. but you know Harry really struggles this book and you know so he's bullied Ron's bullied at the beginning Neville Neville's, yeah. Neville gets the confidence and you see you know it, it just it just progresses from there and that's I'm glad to see that because he's had a very bullied life I'm thinking of another detail now actually at the very beginning when they meet Neville on the train so not the very beginning but you know a third of the way in or something Um, and Neville says look what my gran got me and I think Harry says another remember all because in the past Neville's grandmother has given him things to correct perceived flaws right and uh, yes. this time, Neville's grandmother gave him a Mimbulus Mimbletonia because she noticed that he excels at herbology and is interested in plants. And I haven't yeah. noticed that before. But we do see these little building blocks building mm-hmm. Neville's character. And Absolutely. we get the sense that people are starting to see him. And, you know, we know that Neville becomes the professor of herbology at, at Hogwarts eventually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And we Spoilers. see Neville, yeah, we see Neville <laughs> making his own friends. You know, as much as yeah. Hermione doesn't treat Luna well, Luna and Neville are buddies. Yeah. Um, and and you know, both of them being people who have been misunderstood and treated badly by the rest of the community, they find each other. Um, mm. And you know, they've both experienced loss. Like I, I I imagine they have quite a lot to talk about and yeah. quite a lot of understanding between them. Yeah, they 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 both their their loss definitely is a when when people have lost uh, a lot in their lives, they it's really hard to for to to relate to other people that haven't because that that loss of something um, creates a gap a chasm between people that that have never that have never experienced that. Um, it, it's one of the the deepest ways to. Uh, we need to relate to people in, in order to be able to sometimes you know understand them to be able to do stuff with them and when you're around people that have never experienced loss and you have deeply and and some situations come around that 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 trigger that 
it's really hard for those people who have never experienced to empathize. It's like there's there's no knowledge there. There's no even academic understanding of what that loss means until you've experienced it. So when people, you know, pe- people who have lost connect deeply to people who have lost, and you know, people who are broken connect deeply to people who are broken, and it's it's something that. Um, it brings a lot of empathy. And people who are broken or lost, who can't re- relate to, who just don't have anybody in their lives that ha- anybody to relate to, uh, really struggle. You know, they really struggle with, with empathy. They re- themselves, others, and they really struggle with um, building any kind of relationship. So when you find people that are that are like you, that are experience something similar to you, you latch on, and it and it can be a really st- uh, a strengthening thing. I wonder if that's part of. Harry's draw to Cho in this one because Hermione and Ron while being very good friends to Harry that's kind of the chasm we always see between them is that both Hermione and Ron come from loving supportive families and Mm -hmm. Harry has never had that experience and and we do see that create kind of a barrier between them over and over yeah um and I do wonder I mean obviously like Harry has had a crush on on Cho already because yeah. you know she's cute and she flies well and stuff um but it does feel like a lot of his pull to her in this book is that she feels like the person who can best understand yeah. Cedric's death and what that yeah. means to him because um, he brings it up a lot with Hermione and Ron like you weren't there you don't get it you don't understand you don't know yeah. what this feels like at Christmas time uh, when they're all, you know, they're all pulled back because um, uh, Ron's father is attacked by um, Voldemort, and he's really, really struggling because he's 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 convinced that he's being taken over, he's being controlled by uh, Voldemort, and he has no one to share this, no one to relate to. And Ginny comes in and says, "I've been too. We yeah. can talk about this." And then the realization goes off, it's like. Oh, I'm not alone, and I think that is another seed of the relationship between these two because they have been through similar things. Like the loss of control of yourself mm-hmm. is massive, and Harry feels this all the time, especially this book. Like he he has these visions where he is Voldemort, and worries that he is that Voldemort is controlling him by this way. Yeah. You know, so there's there's that connection that I I think. As, as much as you're, you're right, the, 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 a lot of the book, I think, I think that Harry and Cho are connected because of the loss of Cedric, and 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 how that loss has you know traumatized them both. But it's just it sort of it sort of ebbs and flows, and then wades uh, you know, flames not flames out, but just sort of just diminishes so so much. Whereas the the the, the seeds of, of of Ginny start coming in through this, yeah. and uh, yeah, the, the the connection over the loss of themselves is is huge. I'm glad you brought that point up because I meant to bring it up earlier and just kind of lost track of it. But that is another <laughs> that is just such a significant turning point, both in how Harry sees Ginny and how mm-hmm. we see Ginny, because like the yeah. the fact that Harry didn't consider that. And Ginny is the one who has to say, like, you were there. You remember? Yeah. Do you remember this whole thing that happened? Like, yeah. 
you know that I can be talked to. And I think that's really the shift for Harry, where he yeah. goes from Ginny as kind of Ron's accessory to Ginny as her own person who yeah. can have an, a different relationship with. Yeah. At the beginning, when they when they're first at the Weasley house at the, uh, in the summer, and Harry notices that Ginny can actually talk to him. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, that's because she's not like fond of you like a like a puppy anymore. She's got a boyfriend, Ron. What? She's got a boyfriend. What? What's going on here? How do I do not know that? There's yeah. there's really a crisis, which I think is a fun way to treat it. Everybody has a crisis about Ginny becoming a character, which kind <laughs> of which kind of walks the reader through. Okay, Ginny is a character now, um, yeah. and and the other characters all have those those crises for them. And I do actually, I really, really appreciate that Harry's relationship with Cho is just clearly never anything. It, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it, it, it's one of those high school relationships that happen where yeah. you start dating, very quickly realize you have absolutely nothing to say to each other beyond the one shared thing you have. Um, yeah. And... And then you just kind of find an excuse to drift apart. The, the way that the, the the mistletoe kiss is treated, it, um, it there's, there's 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 this. Is this going to happen? What's it going to happen? It's like this. What what do we do? Is this really a thing? And then you then you you break to another part where then he's like asked by you know did it happen? It's like yeah, I guess it did. And but it's like we don't see it happen because it's it's one of those things where like Harry's so confused by it. <laughs> Am I in a relationship or am I not? I don't know. And I think yeah. he, he's just, he's no clue whatsoever, like most guys. And <laughs> he's, uh, I, I think that the way it's written really is telling because there's there's the anticipation and confusion of something about to happen, about a kiss going to happen. And then you hear about it, but you don't actually see it because it doesn't really, it's not really the point. Yeah. We have like two more minutes. So is there anything <laughs> else we you want to... Uh... Hit on. We can go a little over if we have to, but all right. Um, I think that <sighs> Snape. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're getting a a completely different sense of Snape in this book than we have previously, and Harry is getting a different sense of Snape. Yeah. And he's frustrated by Snape, but he sees where Snape came from, and like. It, can we trust Snape? Um, is is Snape really on Voldemort's side, or is is he really reformed like Dumbledore says? You know, he's doing all of the things that would seem to be helping Harry, but doing it in such a Snape way that it's hard for Harry. And 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 we we know later why Snape treats Harry this way, but it's it's you know Snape Snape is being used by Dumbledore to use Harry. But it's also using Harry because it's it's a it's a way of getting back at his father, and um, it, it's it's so layered. But we're we're seeing the Snape is growing as a character. Yeah. He's not just the, the, an antihero, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like he's somebody with like we we get a backstory, we get an origin story. Mm-hmm. You know, he is he is not the sort of evil professor that that just has it in for Harry. Yeah. There's more to it than that. And I think we see Harry really resenting that he ends up feeling empathy for Snape. You know, he sees this memory and he identifies with Snape in the memory. Mm-hmm. And and that's yeah. really hard for him. 
I think any time we have, like, like even growing up, you, you have a person that's been bullying you, bullying you, and bullying you, and all of a sudden you 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 learn something about them, and you realize that like <laughs> they're not all bad. Like, there's a song by Alec Benjamin, um, "Boy in the Bubble." And really talks about this, you know, where, you know, you don't, you, you don't know what's the reason why you're being bullied by these people. Like, are, if their life has created the point where they're, they're, they're acting out on this, if you have empathy, you might be able to understand them and change your relationship with them. And that's really hard. And, you know, Harry is like, it's, it's learning about his father and the way he treated Snape has made has opened his eyes and a tiny bit of his heart to Snape and he doesn't know what to do with it mm-hmm. which is why he doesn't talk about it very much with his friends mm-hmm. and then we see that just develop much more in the next book tune in next tune in. week for thoughts on that <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much this was great thank you it was fun yeah really fun to have you we'll have to do it again sometime excellent I'd love cool. to Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Yeah Podcast, and individually, I'm at Teffer Bear, and Matt is at Matt J. Dever and has been tweeting about Order of the Phoenix all week. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, just like Matt, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shoutout to our patrons, Matt, who joined us today, Catherine Resch, Erica Stutchberry, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, and Chantal Thomas. You guys are great. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at TeePublic. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing to us on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend who's uh, never totally gotten Order of the Phoenix. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tepper Jenny, and that's me, and edited by Tom Zalatni, who hates Order of the Phoenix. As part of the Upford Network, you can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Dungeons. Dragons. Canada. The Multiverse Theory. Corgis. Queer representation. Reconciliation. Angels. Demons. Squirrels. Moose. Moose and squirrels. Sorcerers. Dinosaurs. Barbarians. Forests. Giants. Rogues. Warlocks. Plains. Sewers. Lavender. Natural Toonie. A Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Right here on the Upford Network. If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast, helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else.